0: Hello and welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia's podcast, the podcast where we'll look at technical and legal issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name is Melissa Yeo and I'm one of the directors of the Society. In this episode, we hear from Alex Hartman, partner at Baker McKenzie in Sydney, who presented at our national conference in Canberra in November this year. Alex looks at the important issue of construction waste and what happens when offices are stripped out. Alex's presentation also walks us through some of the sustainability developments in this space, including Better Buildings Partnership and their waste guidelines. Be sure to subscribe to the Society of Construction Law podcast to be alerted when new episodes are available. We look forward to sharing more updates from our national conference in the next few episodes. I'm Melissa Yeo. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon everyone. Uh, My topic has a grand title, but it's really rubbish. Or to be more precise, it's about rubbish. Um, I'm talking about something that's much more prosaic, much more closer to home, and that is we all work in offices. And I'm talking about what happens when we leave our offices, move move premises, and what happens to all the strip out. And essentially, Australia is a real laggard in this area in terms of what we deal with reuse and recycling of that that, uh, waste and what i hope to do today is really identify the extent or the dimensions of the problem why the problem are, has arisen the drivers for actually dealing with it and as we're all construction lawyers the final section is some drafting suggestions on how to deal with it and to put you all in the mood i've got some pic- i've got a photo of some miserable looking polar bears so to keep you all focused on the on the issue so let's identify the problem so i i apologize in advance My stats are all Sydney-based. It's not just because I'm a Sydney-based lawyer, but because the studies have actually been done in Sydney. But you can extrapolate with the the sort of stats that I'm about to present across all uh, central business districts across Australia. So 10% of all Sydney CBD leases are renewed each year. That equates to a churn of 400,000 square meters of office space in the Sydney CBD alone. So, if you're talking Sydney, that doesn't include North Sydney, Parramatta, Northwest Business Park, and so forth. An estimated 25,000 tons of construction and demolition waste are generated annually in the Sydney CBD, and only 20% of that waste is actually recycled or reused. And by the, by the reuse, I mean things like furniture actually finds a new home. Now, how do we compare? Well. In the Netherlands, 98% of construction and demolition waste is actually reused or recycled due to policy settings which result in uh, landfill bans on combustible materials, uh, requirements regarding uh, reuse and recycling, and uh, quite a, a high landfill tax. In Germany, the figure, not quite so high, but 86%. So but compared to our 20%, much more significant. The New South Wales EPA has targeted an 80% recovery rate uh, for construction and demolition waste by 2020, only three and a half years away. So um, uh, I query how we're going to get from 20% to 80% in in such a short space of time. What they have done. Uh, The EPA is they have actually funded a study by Edge Environment uh, as part of their circulate program to identify the capabilities for waste reuse and recycling which has identified uh, in the Sydney CBD alone an opportunity to return 3,000 to 4,000 tonnes of of metals, timber, glass and plastics to the the productive economy each year. So why, why are we in this situation? Well there's a variety of factors. The first is that generally commercial office leases require the tenant to um, impose on the tenant a make-good obligation to return the space at the end of the lease to a warm shell, by which I mean carpeted and painted ready for presentation for letting to new tenants. Now what happens of course is that tenants are not in the business of uh, contracting for demolition and strip out. So what happened, that, that obligation is then transferred back to the landlord for a price. So for landlords, it's a, it's an, a, a revenue stream. Um, and that, at that point, the, landlo- the tenant, it's no longer the tenant's concern. The tenant really is, 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 has, forms the view that this is now the landlord's obligation. They wish to continue in their tenancy until the moment they move, make a smooth transition to their new premises, and they're not generally well disposed to interventions to come round and take inventories and actually scope out what's going to be removed. So add to that the time pressure. So as a la- for the landlord is really unable to get in to, to do uh, preparatory work prior to the, the completion of the lease, the landlord wants... The premises leased as quickly as possible, and they have pressure from their letting agents to return the return the space to carpeted and painted uh, uh, state, ready for presentation for new tenants. And so, as a result, time pressures um, are the enemy of reuse and recycling. Uh, So, and the other uh, one of the other issues is that this is the. Corporate focus on sustainability, as you'll see as you walk around any of your CBDs, you'll see uh, premises uh, to be leased, and you'll see proudly displayed its four, five, or six-star Green Star or Neighbours rating. That focus is very much on the inbound, on new buildings. There is much less corporate sustainability focus on what happens once a building has been built. The focus is on the design and and built uh, ratings rather than the uh, operational ratings. Although we will see in the uh, following slide that there are green building uh, rating tools which actually uh, take on board, they give points uh, towards the delivery of a rating based on the reuse or diversion of construction waste. So we so we have. Um, a, a problem of who, who's actually responsible, the tenants handing it to the, the landlord, the landlord really wanting uh, a solution which is as quick as possible to actually get the, the property back into a letable uh, state. And that actually generally means, to put it bluntly, a sledgehammer through what's there, dumped in a skip and taken to landfill. So we also have um, problems of inertia, just people, know, and we've talked about inertia in terms of why contracts are the way they are, that, that there's those, the stakeholders involved are just used to, to doing it that way and, and therefore are unwilling to change. The other problem is that, unlike a demolition of an entire building, the strip out of a few floors doesn't generate the amount of waste that creates the economies of scale that you have with larger demolition project projects. And some of the other prob- problems are that there's insufficient uh, awareness of the uh, abilities for recycling and reuse. And in some cases, and I'm thinking here, particularly in relation to ceiling tiles, where in Europe they have a closed loop system where ceiling tiles are returned to the manufacturer, uh, then broken down into their, their materials and then uh, remanufactured. The Australian market is simply too small for some of those more specialized uh, waste recovery and reuse uh, technologies. So, um, enter the Better Buildings Partnership. Now, some of you may be familiar with the Better Buildings Partnership. It's a collaboration between uh, a number of major property owners uh, such as Lendlease, Mervac, Dexas, GPT Group, and Charter Hall, and also some of the major contractors such as Built and Build Corp. What they seek to do is um, bring about best practice in terms of sustainability, and they have issued a number of um, uh, publications, including um, uh, materials in relation to green lease best practice in relation to green leases. And as you'll see, their members own more than 50% of the commercial office space in the Sydney CBD. So, as part of, that pro of the BBP process, they issued in June of this year their Waste Guidelines Version 1. And those waste guidelines seek to identify the scope of the problem, from which I've taken a number of these statistics, identify and define best practice, to pilot best practice and identify modifications. And they have actually run the strip out of the um, previous offices of the New South Wales Department of Premier and Cabinet in, um, I think, Governor Philip Tower. And they've actually run that on a best practice model to see whether Uh, a more recycling and reuse focused uh, strip out can actually um, deliver much better results but at no extra cost, which is what they found. Then to create monitoring and benchmarking and to work with industry bodies, government and other bodies to embed their work into existing tools and systems for a a wider uptake. We have our polar bear back again. And we've got here um, the hierarchy of how waste is best dealt with, starting from obviously reduction of waste at at the outset, the reuse and repurposing of items in their existing manufactured state. If that's not possible, to strip them back down to their raw materials and recycle those raw materials. Then moving down to recovery, and by recovery, that's that's much more used in Europe than it is in Australia, and that involves essentially waste to energy burning, say, chipboard manufactured timbers to create uh, heat and therefore from heat, uh, steam and electricity. That's actually not really possible in Australia due to quite strict environmental requirements but there is, uh, there are opportunities to develop that further. And then obviously at the bottom of the chain waste, uh, that is just simply chucking it in a landfill. Now um, just in terms of some further statistics, uh, in uh, the Sydney area there is, uh, sorry landfill goes sorry, waste goes to landfill at the cost of approximately $280 $280 per tonne, of which $133 is a waste levy imposed by the New South Wales government. So you can see how significant government uh, is in terms of increasing the cost of waste disposal and therefore, uh, by extension, encouraging the ability uh, or the attractiveness of reuse and recycling so what can be reused or recycling well i've listed there loose furniture workstations gypsum from plasterboard the cardboard can be stripped off and the gypsum can be reused either in the manufacture of new plasterboard or as a soil additive glass not just for for refabrication into new glass but it can even be used as a road base or creation of glass fiber products Carpet in particularly carpet tiles can be reused, metal obviously can be melted down again, and electrical engineering, uh, sorry, electrical equipment, pardon me. And as I mentioned before, the waste to energy potential is currently largely unrealised in Australia. So um, now getting to the Green Star rating tools. I remember about 12 years ago I, I, I thought I'd identified a great unique selling point for my, my colleagues and I in, a, in our construction team that sustainability was the new thing and, and identifying uh, that that we were particularly capable in that area would set us uh, aside or apart from other uh, construction teams. Now of course that's all gone, uh, green star rating tools are part of the furniture in terms of the, um, of what's expected of a construction lawyer in terms of embedding those requirements in construction contracts. Now, those are very familiar to us in terms of design and build of commercial offices, retail and other major infrastructure. But what's often overlooked is that there are two further rating tools in terms of the Green Star Interiors 1.1 rating tool and the Green Star Performance Rating tool, which I'll get to shortly. So starting with the Green Star Interiors Rating Tool, it rates building fit-outs across a very wide range of building developments. But it may be very difficult for you to see on the slide there, but it, uh, it, de- it deals with nine categories, uh, largely focused on energy efficiency, such as efficient lighting and heating, the zoning of, ele- of energy using, usage, sub-metering, the use of natural light, Waste minimisation comes into one category only and attracts a very small number of points out of a total hundred points that can be obtained. Uh, Submissions for Green Star Interiors certification can be lodged following practical completion of the project up to 24 months after practical completion. The other option is the Green Star Performance Rating Tool which enables building owners and managers to benchmark the performance of their existing buildings. Now Green Star rating is uh, uh, its proponents would say actually lifts the value of buildings up to a 12 percent premium on Green Star rated buildings because of its ability to attract uh, command high rents, attract premium tenants and to avoid uh, they have much, they're cited as having much lower vacancy rates between tenancies. The Green Star performance rating tool is recertified every three years and is used to certify whole portfolios of buildings. So if you are a major property property owner uh, and have a portfolio of buildings, you can rate your entire portfolio. And interestingly, unlike the Green Star build and design tools, there is no minimum star rating. By which I mean, if you are seeking a Green Star build or, or design rating, the minimum rating you can get is a four star rating. So if your building merits a three star or below rating, they simply do not award a rating. However, with performance and interior sorry with the performance rating tool, you can get a rating as low as one star. And the rationale behind that is is that the, the Green Building Council of Australia seek to therefore transition uh, portfolios of buildings so that you can by making innovations, uh, and being uh, and operating your building in a more sustainable way you can raise its rating from a 1 2, th- two 3 star upwards progressively and like financial results uh, green star ratings for performance can go down as well as up so these as i understand ratings are very sought after in the uh, pr- uh, in the commercial property area as they are very attractive as a uh, a proxy for the rating of the portfolio in terms of future proofing, so when an investor looks at investing in a company with a portfolio of buildings and they see that they are they have a high green star rating or their equivalent internationally like the lead rating in the u s, the investor can have greater confidence that that building will, will remain if, uh, remain profitable or remain uh, efficient to run even in the event of major energy price increases. So um, those ratings are are very keenly sought. So when we get to comparing the two rating tools, so the interiors and the performance rating tool, what we see is that in the Green Star interiors rating tool, which is the yellow circle or orange circle on the left, um, there is a construction and demolition, demolition waste credit, which addresses the total amount of waste by providing a benchmark by um, weight, number uh, kilograms per meter square, squared of a uh, square meter of refurbished site. Uh, that must be achieved um, in order uh, as a measure of the total waste sent to landfill. And points options include uh, can be uh, you can obtain points by retaining of existing components of fit out and reusing them in a new fit out, or Um, the use of effective waste management principles. And um, one one issue that's um, uh, interesting here, and there's some debate within the sustainable, the the consultants who work in this area, is what happens if you are a new tenant and you agree to take the existing fit out and reuse some of it? your, the problem is therefore you, that you take the bits that you don't want, and therefore you incur the um, cost of di- of disposing, and therefore the negative uh, points outcome of disposing of the of the bits that you don't need. Uh, whereas if you actually insisted on a com- complete clean strip out, uh, therefore you won't you you're actually not reusing anything, but you're not incurring the negative. Um, of the disposed items, that's a very live issue at the moment in in that area. Whereas in, then, if we look at the Green Star Performance Rating Tool, we see that there is uh, you can obtain out of a total 100 points a maximum of five points. Uh, whereas out of you only get three in the uh, interiors uh, rating tool, three out of a possible hundred. Uh, you get five maximum of five points. One point for having a um, waste management plan. Uh, Two, uh, two points for uh, diversion of waste from landfill, and an additional two innovation points based on the um, the weight of disposed material per meter per square meter of refurbished space. So if you have between 2.6 and 3.5 kilograms of waste per square meter, you get one point. If you keep it below 2.5, between 1.6 and 2.5 kilograms, you get two points. If above 3.5 kilograms, you get nothing. Now, for those of you who've had experience in dealing with the Green Star rating tools, you'll find that they are very heavily audit driven. They're very very much based on documentation. And one of the requirements here is that if you're going to seek these points, you need to have a waste contractor who is certified uh, to ISO 9001. Uh, standard uh, in order to produce the quality of documentation that the Green Buildings Council will require in order to award those points as part of awarding the rating. So what are the drivers for change in this area? Well we've of course had a much greater focus on corporate, corporate social responsibility and I mentioned that particularly in the context of the design and build ratings, but that then uh, will flow through into the actual operation and performance of those buildings once constructed. So it's more, however, than just establishing yourself as a good corporate citizen. There is a green premium for rated buildings and portfolios, which flows through to the rent and consequently the associated building value. Um, The Green Star certification feeds directly into the global real estate sustainability benchmark, which is an international comparison, which I mentioned earlier. It's evidence of future-proofing of the portfolio, rendering the portfolio more attractive to investors. It assists in tenant and employee attraction. Um, so that's, that's from the owner side. There are also from the demolition contractor significant cost savings in demolition costs due to the diversion of waste from landfill with the avoidance of incurring that $280 per square metre, uh, sorry, per tonne of disposed material. There's opportunities for manufacturers to use recycled materials as raw materials in their manufacturing process. So, to put it in, I think the way they they call it, in, the, the way they say it in Yorkshire, where there's muck, there's brass. Um, and there's also an increasing focus on product stewardship obligations, where manufacturers of such things as carpet tiles, increasingly overseas, will take an obligation to, to both from manufacture to but to take that product back at the end of the uh, of its life so show me the money what are the contractual incentives that can be built in for waste diversion well the uh, better buildings partnership waste strip out guidelines perhaps slightly hopefully uh, identified uh, some uh, some incentives that can be uh, included that is the grant of additional time to the demolition contractor for the uh, in and therefore a uh, suspension or holiday from liquidated damages if the contractor can achieve increased diversion rates but of course that cuts across the commercial imperative of getting the building stripped and uh, ready for leasing as quickly as possible. Bonuses for achievement of increased diversion rates and of course the savings in handling and disposal charges for the demolition contractor and their ability to actually recoup um, some money for some of the salvage materials which currently at the moment is particularly metals, but not a great deal elsewhere. So what are the, some of the suggest, if, if let's fast forward, we, if we're either an in-house lawyer or uh, in private practice, and we have a client who says, well, they wish to climb on board this uh, corporate, uh, corporate social responsibility uh, uh, push, and to achieve better outcomes in terms of uh, waste diversion from strip out. The first and the the most fundamental point is that you must mandate a diversion rate. 60% or greater is suggested, but this needs to be mindful of the space you're dealing with. So if you are dealing with space that is already open plan, the opportunity for diversion is much less. So if if it's an open plan area with no plasterboard or glass, then it's been suggested that a 50% diversion rate would would be hard to achieve so you need to be mindful of the space you're dealing with and negotiate that with the demolition contractor you would then uh, you may then wish to mandate the achievement of a minimum number of green star points under each of those particular rating tools that the contractor must ensure or must use uh, at least use reasonable or best endeavors to put the principal in the position of being able to obtain those points under those rating tools that you would require the either the contractor or the principal would agree to, to provide to prepare and provide to the contractor an inventory of what materials are actually in the site so that the contractor has advanced warning and can actually start identifying waste diversion streams and destinations for the materials. If the contractor is to, to perform that inventory role then you would need to allow for early access rights to the contractor to prepare the inventory Uh, And one of the things we'll get to shortly is the Better Buildings Partnership isn't just a set of aspirational uh, uh, aspirational materials, it actually contains a large number of very useful documents and proformas that can be incorporated into a contract to achieve these outcomes. Then you would require the contractor to provide a diversion plan identifying the number of waste streams, and we've identified on the previous slide perhaps uh, half a dozen or maybe more waste streams, glass, furniture, carpet, etc. The destinations for each of those waste streams, the sequence of work that will be undertaken, and very practical things like the sequence of work are highly important, and I'll give you a very simple example you don't want to be breaking up ceiling tiles before you remove the carpet in order to avoid contamination of the carpet. To identify the specific removal, disassembly, protection and contamination avoidance requirements for each of the waste streams. So if you're disassembling um, workstations, you need to make sure they're disassembled in such a way as that they're protected from damage whilst being moved and that all the fixings are retained with them. So, some further suggested contract provisions. That you would require the contractor to report on the waste recovery outcomes using specified protocols and auditable third-party records. These are essential if you want to obtain your Green Star ratings. You would require, in accordance with the Green Star rating tools, your contractor to be ISO 9001 compliant. You would ensure that the program requ- requires sufficient time for effective removal, sorting, segregation and disposal. And there's a key point here that really um, pressure of time is uh, inimical to the ability to actually uh, undertake these reuse and uh, re- recycling uh, objectives. You need, the principal needs to ensure that um, there is sufficient access for segregation, storage, and removal. This may mean making an additional uh, vacant floor of the building available for the interim storage of the, of the segregated materials until they're actually collected, or on the, at, at, in the loading docks, the provision of extra skips for each of the uh, each of the, the waste streams so that they they're, they're, they're not mixed. You would require that the principal have the right to audit the contractors diversion records. You would require that the contractors insurances uh, cover not just it but each of the specialist removal contractors or social enterprises who are uh, very uh, prominent in this reuse and recycle, particularly the reuse of furniture and workstations area. And you may even wish to mandate or encourage the use of Uh, social enterprises and charities as destinations for some of the materials. So really just getting to my final slides, as I mentioned the Better Better Buildings Partnership waste uh, strip out tool includes a great deal of information that's readily available and can be incorporated into scopes of work. And they are matrices of roles and responsibilities for each of the participants, whether they be the 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 landlord, the demolition contractor and the tenant and each of the subcontractors, site access notifications and approvals to come on and remove into specific waste streams, inventory proformers which allow them to be readily prepared and circulated before the contractor even comes on site, identification of recovery streams and destinations, so w- where you are unclear as to how to dispose of a glass, metal or um, gypsum there are identified destinations for each of those uh, and so there's a directory of those resource facilities reporting templates to ensure that that feeds up into your green star uh, app green star um, applications and even um, evidence logs and density to weight conversion tools again to assist you in your green ratings application the final slides here which i won't dwell on are examples of those very um, of those very materials that are available in the Better Buildings Partnership Waste Strip Out Guidelines. So that concludes my rubbish presentation.